So we now begin with the letter of James. And just as we start with this first message, I want to invite you, if you can remember, if you're older, uh, when you were in high school and maybe a time where you would come into class, maybe it's English literature. And as you gather and all the students are seated, the teacher stands up and says, okay, students, put all your books and your uh, notes underneath the desk. We're going to take a pop quiz. And the terror that would strike your heart and your throat would constrict. And you'd be like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready. Uh, and, you know, you used to think that, that they were just doing it because they were mean and they didn't like you. But I think in reality, uh, what really was happening with a pop quiz is that um, literally the teacher was giving you uh, just a test to be able to figure out how well have you been learning? Have you been integrating what you've been learning? Are you going to be able to retain it, be able to share it, especially when the big midterm or the final comes? Just how, what's your preparation level? And in this way, James is very similar in his first chapter. He really talks about how God uses trials to test our faith, to see how well our faith is being developed and mature and complete. And so I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And so we're going to look at the first eight verses and verse 12 out of this first section of James. And so turn in your Bibles, pull it up on your devices. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well, on the screen if you're watching online. And so James starts by saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, greetings, I'm sorry, to the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations, greetings, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea being tossed and blown by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. And then verse 12, it says, blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that Jesus has promised to those who love him. And so James starts out with this very powerful, kind of very direct letter. And I want to just acknowledge that, you know, we've been through some challenges here recently that we haven't experienced in quite a while. You know, the, the ringer of COVID-19, a few other trials around racial uh, tension in our nation, unity in our nation. You throw in, this is an election year, and things are kind of tense right now uh, in our culture. And then you just think about the normal trouble that comes along in life as we live life. Uh, really difficult things that come to us. Things like, you know, strained or even broken relationships that really rock us to the core. Uh, news from our doctor that we have cancer uh, you know, work problems that even maybe lead to the loss of a job and income. So many more. And Jesus, who was James's brother, said, In this world you will have many troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. But the early Christians that James was writing to were experiencing a depth of trials that go way beyond what we are experiencing even in this really crazy time. You know, they experienced severe poverty. 
they had hardship unimaginable to us. Ostracism from being able to worship in the tabernacle or the temple. They oftentimes were ostracized in their own family because they believed in this prophet named Jesus. They were uh, forced to uh, change their location of where they lived. They relocated from their communities. They lost work. They experienced other real kinds of persecution, hardship unimaginable to us. So can you imagine going through all those hardships? And then this letter comes from James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, Jesus' half-brother. And you're thinking, wow, he's going to have some really encouraging words for us. He's going to help us. He's going to uplift us. And the letter starts out after the initial greeting. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you go through trials of many kinds. Pure joy in trials, right? It seems like an oxymoron, you know, like... Government uh, uh, efficiency, military intelligence, jumbo shrimp. Hard times and pure joy don't necessarily feel like they go together, do they? And how many of us have experienced, could we say we've experienced pure joy in the last few months to all that's gone on with COVID-19? I can't say that I've always responded with pure joy. I can imagine the first reader of this letter taking that first sentence and going, are you serious? Like almost wanting to wad the letter up and throw it in the fire. Like, I don't know, I want to read the rest of what James has to tell me. You know, uh, consider it pure joy when you face trials. It seems absurd. And why would James start out that way instead? You know, why wouldn't he start out with lines like, I'm so sorry for all you've gone through, you know, sympathy or sorrow, uh, giving words of comfort and hope to this new community. My suspicion is he wanted to get their attention off of their circumstances and on the Lord and what God was doing and what God wanted to, th- them to learn through the whole thing. And he, wa- he offers words of comfort and hope, but it comes later in the letter. But he wants to get their attention. He wants their attention, and he gets it. And God wants our attention. Does he have it? Does he have your attention in these days? What kind of joy is James talking about in this line here? Is he saying that we should just shrug off any trial that comes our way, even if it's small or even if it's huge? One of those ones that just literally like an earthquake in our life. Is he saying just put on a smiley face and pretend like nothing bad has happened, there's no pain, there's no hardship? No, that is not the kind of joy that James is speaking of here. It's not the same as a human's definition of happiness and pleasure. Joy and happiness the world has to offer us is ultimately empty and fleeting. It it brings satisfaction in the moment, but lasting joy, you know, true happiness and peace is empty pursuit aside from the joy that God has to offer us. Our world seeks joy, but the wisdom of this world does not allow us to find it or be able to hold on to it. And Jesus recognizes this. He said in John chapter 12, verse 25, he said, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. James is speaking of a different kind of joy than the world, world's joy. A joy that understands sacrifice, that leads to good. A joy that has a deep sense of being in the presence and the will of God, even in really hard times. A joy that has seen God's good provision in previous hard times and believes and trusts that God is still going to provide and and do good things moving forward. James is speaking of a joy in this verse that we can have through the Holy Spirit that allows us to be truly satisfied with our life simply to love God with all of our being and to love our neighbors as ourselves in good times and in hard times as well. 
In verse 3 he says, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here James is making the connection of why Christians can experience joy in hard times. God wants to grow us in our faith to a place of maturity and completeness in him. These trials that we go through uh, are like pop quizzes that God gives us, you know, in the midst of a journey of transformation to test how mature our faith is. The pop quiz doesn't determine if we pass or we fail. It's not going to determine if we have eternal life or don't have eternal life. But it's a mark of recognition of just how far are we in our faith. How mature are we? And if we fall short, we don't respond in joy in a certain trial or circumstance, then, it, then it's just a recognition of where we are and how much more God needs to work in our lives and how we need to lean into the power of the, of the Holy Spirit uh, more than we have prior. You know, when a pipeline is uh, being built and they, they finish the work, before they put the pipeline in play, whether it's an oil or gas or water pipeline, they test that pipeline to make sure it doesn't have any leaks in it. And the way they test it is they fill the pipeline, depending on what type it is, they'll fill it either with water or with air. And then they test the volume or the pressure to see if it can stay constant. And if it, it dips, if the pressure or the the uh, volume goes down. They know they have a leak somewhere, and they have to go work on it and fix it. But if it stays steady, then they know the pipeline is good and true, and they can put it to work. They can use it. God allows trials in our lives as a pressure test on the maturity of our faith. It's one of the ways he helps us to know where are we at in our faith journey. If our joy remains constant... We're, endur- we're producing endurance. We're demonstrating endurance as a sign of trust in the Lord. It, you know, if our joy leaks out during the test, it's a sign that we still need the Holy Spirit's help in producing perseverance in our lives. So what are the results of the pressure test of the last few months in your life? How would someone, if they didn't know you, if they, we were able to somehow magically produce a recording of all that you have said and all that you've thought, what are the themes that they would pick up? In that recording, you know, would it be joy? Would it be faith? Would it be trust? Or would it be other things? You know, would they, how would they describe your attitude? Would that be joy? Yes? No? Yes, sometimes? No, sometimes? You know, so why do we suffer def- difficulties? Why does a good God allow suffering? Through this whole book, James is going to be teaching us that God is a generous and a lavish giver even to the undeserving. But James also points out that God desires that, uh, that we be developed in Christ-like character within us. God's highest goal in our lifetime is to make us, isn't to make us happy or to bring pleasure to our lives. God loves us and he forgives us, but he also wants to mature us and grow us. He doesn't want us just to stay here in this place of being young and like a baby. He wants to mature and grow and develop our faith. And we would prefer to take the easy road in that process of being, becoming Christ-like in our character, right? Who wouldn't sign up for the easy road? But James, just like Jesus, is reminding us that trials help develop perseverance. Do you remember what Jesus told his followers if they want to follow him, if they want to be his disciples, what they had to do? You must pick up my cross daily and follow me. And I don't think when Jesus was talking about picking up the cross daily and following him that he was intending an easy road. In that journey, think about God's goal to mature and grow us. 
You know, when Diane and I became parents, we had a number of couples that were older than us that had gone through that journey of parenting before us who, you know, we thought they've done that pretty well. We're going to listen and pay attention to what they've learned. And one of the things that we picked up from them was just this idea of one of the goals of of good parents is to develop their children to a place where as they become adults, they've matured to a place that they're mature and they're functional, that they can live appropriately as adults. What a great idea, right? And so uh, our mentors shared with, you know, when our kids were so young and they were just seemed to adore us and love being around us, that if we stuck with that goal, there were going to come moments that they wouldn't necessarily love and adore us as they got older that we would ask them to do things that wouldn't necessarily make them feel great about uh, our part with them. And so part of helping our children mature was giving them appropriate responsibilities as they grew older, like, you know, cleaning the dishes, taking out the trash, cleaning up after the dog, picking up the dog's poop. You know, some jobs are worse than other jobs, right? You know, so you guys know those kinds of things if you were growing up. And, you know, I had similar kind of responsibilities that my parents gave me when I was growing up. And they would even give me at times special projects, bigger projects. And, you know, as a way to kind of help me uh, get stronger, get better, learn some things through that. And, you know, there were times through all of that that I thought my parents were taking advantage of me. You know, in my undeveloped brain, I thought that they had free labor. And, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about all the food that I ate and all the, you know, the shelter, the clothing, the transportation and all the other things that they provided for me. I, I, I thought sometimes they were taking advantage of me. But one part project in particular really stands out to me. When I was in high school, we had a patio, a very large patio in our backyard. And the side closest to the house was sinking and water was collecting there. We were getting water in our basement. So my dad decided, let's break that up and get it out of here and we'll build a deck. And so guess who got to break up all the concrete and haul it all out? I did. That was my job. And so my dad rented a big old jackhammer and I started using that jackhammer. Let me just tell you, I figured out quickly that road construction was not what I was wanting to do for the rest of my life. That was really hard work. And and as we got clo- as I got closer to the house, the concrete got thicker. It was 12 inches deep in some places. It was crazy and really hard work. And I just remember Saturday, I've been working all day. It was Saturday afternoon. I had some friends that came over, said, hey, Wes, we want to go play tennis. Why don't you come with us, take a break, go play some tennis. And I thought, I've been working all day. This has been really hard. I'm going to put the jackhammer down and go play. And so I went and told my dad, and my dad said, no, <laughs> you're not going to go do that. You're going to finish the job. And the reason he wanted me to finish the job that afternoon is because he wanted the jackhammer back at the rental shop by 5 o'clock because he didn't want to pay two days more of rental uh, over the weekend. And so he was very frugal, and I had to keep doing the job. I was mad. I would say that I didn't have pure joy in that moment and thought that this is really a great experience for me. I'm learning something from this. But what I didn't understand is that my dad and my parents were using that project and projects like it to develop personal character traits in me that would help me benefit in the future, right? Parents, we understand this. Things like hard work and not quitting until the job is done and finishing a project that you started. And I could list 10 or 12 more other great benefits that came through learning those kinds of things through uh, difficult jobs that they would have me do. And after I finished everything in that job, I remember my dad sent me down. We had a heart-to-heart, and he kind of told me that he wasn't very appreciative of my attitude. He noticed that my attitude got worse as the job got harder, and especially when I didn't get to go do what my friends wanted me to go do. And he said, listen, the job had to be done. He said, you know, your attitude, it didn't matter if you're going to have a bad attitude or a good attitude. You're going to do the job. And he said, 
The reality is, is if you don't learn to have a better attitude in those difficult moments, that will not bode well for you long-term into the future. And so here's the connection right now. Consider it pure joy, friends, when we go through trials because God is infinitely better than the best parent, right? He's developing perseverance in our lives. Let perseverance finish its work so that we may grow in maturity in our faith. The words complete and mature in this passage that James uses here is to be fully human the way that God originally designed us to be in the beginning, in the creation. You know, before we were stained by sin and and rebellion, when God created humankind, He made us in His very image, but as a result of the fall, we endure a quality of existence that is far less than God has intended for us when He created us. It is, if you will, subhuman. That is our current condition without God in our lives. We can have joy because God is transforming us back into this original image that he created us to live into through Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, but also through trials that develop godly character in our lives. God intended us originally to be close to him, to be in communion, in relationship with him at every moment. And in James, we find this tension between how we are and what God is calling us to be. And as human beings, we recognize we're frail, we fail, we are in constant need of God's love, His grace, His care, His forgiveness. And we can take great joy knowing that He's forging Christ-like character in us through the fires of trial. My parents used to live in San Antonio, and we would go visit them at least once a year. And San Antonio is a great place to go visit and a great place for parents to live. We enjoyed it. And one, we would often go down the river walk. And one time... We were in the Riverwalk area, and my parents told us that they had discovered a glass blowing shop that literally was making beautiful glass objects, and that guests could come in into the back of the shop, and they could watch the craftsmen as they were using and developing and working with the glass. And so we went for about an hour, and it was fascinating. And they took these long metal tubes, and they would, on one end, they'd poke it in, and they'd put this sand and silicone kind of substance, almost like a blob, on the end of the pole. And then they would put it in the kiln where a really super hot fire was at, an open door. And they would turn that tube kind of like they were roasting a marshmallow. And they'd be getting that, that, that developing glass heated up. And when it was just the right temperature and, and able to be used, they'd pull it out real fast. And they'd blow through the tube and start to expand this glass. And they had a lot of different uh, tools and, and uh uh, objects that could help them to shape these glass in, a, in the beautiful objects they were making. And what was so interesting to me was that when the glass wasn't doing it, they weren't developing it the way they wanted it to, they would take it and they would put it back in the kiln, into the heat, and they would heat it back up again and reshape it, or sometimes they'd even just have to start over again. And even the glass that was developing appropriately, they would have to at times put it back in, get it heated up, so they could continue shaping it into whatever object they were making. And what was interesting is that they would make similar things like lamp bases or lights or whatever, but no two objects were ever exactly the same. Each had unique shapes and colors and characteristics, but the glass blower didn't stop until it was complete and it was uh, it formed something that was beautiful and functional. And God is continually using trials to shape us into his godly character so that we can come become complete and mature 
designed to fully love him and to love others and to serve others faithfully. The work of maturing and completion to become perfectly aligned to God's character is impossible in our own effort and our own resources. James goes on to say, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Trials either lead us in humility to seek God and to seek his resources, or trials can lead us in our pride to lean on our own wisdom, our own abilities, and our lack or our small amount of resources that we can have in our life. And he uses the action verb ask in this passage. And here's a place that James emphasizes our faith-taking action. If we lack wisdom, we ask. We ask God. What we as humans are so desperate for is the wisdom of God. And trials are signs that point us to the place where we ask God for his wisdom. And and this wisdom allows us to endure the trial until we are complete. And this isn't the wisdom of the world. Does anyone feel like in the last few months that you've had all the wisdom that you've needed to understand everything that's been happening and how you should respond uh, as a Christian or as a Christ follower and how you should act and respond in every situation in a world in crisis? I haven't. James is saying here, if we lack wisdom, we should ask God. And prayer is the vehicle that we, that we seek and we gain God's wisdom that is different and far better than what the world has to offer Ole Hosby says this about prayer. He says that, that prayer is, the open, is opening the door and allowing God to flood our lives. To pray is nothing more, to, more involved than to let Jesus into our needs. To pray is to give Jesus permission to employ his powers in the alleviation of our distress. I love what Isaiah 65:24 says. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking... I will hear. And then Psalm 62.1, the psalmist says, My soul finds rest in God, in God alone. I hope you've been engaged, begun to start engaging in the 40-day prayer journey this last week. If you haven't, it's not too late, right? Jim talked about where you can go find those resources, firstcupstreaming.com, and it's been, I've really enjoyed it. I've been following the daily videos. I've been reading the daily themes and the verses. I've been writing just some very short, simple prayers in my prayer journal. And it's really been a blessing. And I feel like God has been speaking to me. And I would encourage you to jump in. It's not too late to get involved. Mark Batterson, who wrote the book that we're kind of using as a guide called Draw the Circle, one of the things he said this week just really hit me. He said, the plans of God are revealed in the presence of God. If we truly want to receive the wisdom of God, we must seek him purposefully in prayer. In trials, we ask for wisdom in prayer. In trials, push us to contemplate Scripture, to seek the Lord in prayer, to seek God's face. And in so doing, the byproduct of our pursuit of God is we become more like God himself as he reveals his plans and purposes to us. And his love, as his love continues to grow in us more and more. And prayer itself is so closely linked in Scripture to this theme of perseverance. Jesus tells stories in the Gospels of People who are persistent in seeking an answer or seeking justice in a situation. And he connects these parables to the discipline of intentionally seeking God in prayer. And if you want to develop perseverance and wisdom, we need to lean into prayer that regularly puts ourselves in the presence of God, regularly. James commands us to ask God for wisdom if we're lacking. 
And God's response to our active asking for wisdom is that he gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James is telling us that our God is so good that he gives generously without hesitation. He's contrasting God's single-hearted devotion and purpose and generosity to a complex nature of the fraudulent schemes by the enemies of God, right? We just finished a sermon series talking about the unseen world and the dark forces that are at play and the way that Satan tries to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. That's his purpose. But God's purpose, and he is single-minded in his lavish generosity. He loves to give. He doesn't take away. He gives what we need and helps us to grow. He's given us his son. What an incredible gift. Tom Christie last Sunday preached a really great message and reminded us about just this incredible lavish gift of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. God's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit, his very presence that takes up residence in our lives when we give our life to Christ. And he leads us, he guides us, he's with us, he's showing us what to do and where to go. He tells us in this passage, he gives us wisdom generously when we ask him for it. Not only is our God generous, but he gives without finding fault. He's not looking at us individually, and when you ask or I ask, he's judging whether you're better than I am. He gives across the board to whoever asks him. doesn't matter what our previous record, our character has been, our lack of wisdom, whatever. He doesn't give wisdom based on who's smartest and who's the most faithful. He gives wisdom to every single person who asks. He's the same God who gave us his son, Jesus, to an undeserving world. Our God is more generous than we deserve or we can fathom. This section of James seems to be very similar to another passage that that Jesus talked about prayer with his disciples. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Knock and you will find. I'm sorry, knock and the door will be open to you. Seek and you will find. So we're encouraged to seek the Lord, to ask him. And so if we lack wisdom, we need to act in faith and ask God, trusting that he is generous and faithful. James lets us know that God's going to stay consistently generous. It's his nature. And then he turns, James turns his attention back to us, and he calls us to ask without doubting, without waffling back and forth. And James is using the metaphor of a rudderless, powerless ship that's being tossed back and forth in a storm in the waves. And he's alluding to the temptation that we all struggle with at times in our flesh and our spirit, where we oftentimes allow the world to take our attention away from God and put it on things that aren't healthy and helpful. And and we tend not to stay strong in our faith. We get our attention drawn away. And so who in the last four months hasn't felt like the waves have been kind of tossing us back and forth, right? I mean, think about it. You know, know, the whole stuff around COVID-19, you know, the order to stay at home. But then, you know, it's okay to get out, but then maybe it's not okay. And how many people you can be around increases and then it decreases. And wear a mask and now you don't have to wear a mask and now you have to wear a mask. And, you know, the governor decides schools can't start until September 14th. And the state board says, no, the schools can start whenever they want to. And, you know, each individual district is trying to make their own decision. Who can't say that there have been significant waves that have been pushing our culture back and forth over these last few months. And it doesn't look like it's going to end soon. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but folks, it looks like we're in this one for a while, okay? 
The doubt that James is referring to in this passage doesn't mean that we can't ask God tough questions. That's not what he's suggesting. That we can't register our complaints and our concerns or even question what he's up to. We know from reading the Psalms that God values our prayers, authentic, tough prayers, even prayers that are prayers of complaint or questioning. And James is not saying that, you know, hey, he's saying he's pointing to not doubting by staying strong in our faith, continuing to trust that God is working even if we don't understand what it looks like and faithful even when we can't see the purpose initially. James is calling us to have a faith that takes action by actively asking in confidence for God's wisdom. And in verse 8, he describes who's not going to receive God's wisdom. Literally, he tells us. He says there's a person who's double-minded and unstable in their faith. The passage describes a person who's unsettled. It's not able to rest or be comfortable in their faith. And can we admit that at times it's been hard to get settled in this environment, right? Everything's been changing. Everything's kind of back and forth, and our routines don't feel routine any longer. The doubting, the double-minded wavering that James is warning against reminds me of the scene of the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. And Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping. The big storms comes up, and uh, the disciples get anxious. In fact, they think they're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping like a baby in the back of the boat. And they go back and they wake him up and say, aren't you worried? Aren't you concerned? Can't you help us? And he calms the wind and the waves. And then he admonishes them because he told them their faith was lacking in that moment. The disciples, it was a pop quiz by God. But the disciples realized that they had allowed the circumstances to take their eyes off of God and to forget God's goodness and God's faithfulness and put their eyes on the storm, doubting that God would provide for them. The result, result was they still needed to develop perseverance in their faith journey. James ends this letter This part, this section of the letter, with this verse from verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the the Lord has promised to those who love him. What a great verse. That is a powerful verse right there. Just to remind us that God has a purpose in the trial, and that he's given us a promise that in faith we're going to receive the crown of life. Again, God is good. God is generous, way beyond what we uh, can imagine or what we deserve. And this life, we need to recognize, this life is a series of tests. Some tests God reveals that our faith is being matured, it's developing. Other tests reveal that we still need God to do some work in our lives, to put us back in the flames, so to speak, so he can build Christ-likeness, just put us, make us into this wonderful piece of craftsmanship in Christ Jesus. Do you want to hear some good news about hard times? Even during trials, we can trust that God is good and more generous than we deserve or can imagine. How would you score yourself on your pop quiz of going through a trial? Would you give yourself an A? A C plus? A D minus? You know, if you're not feeling like you've done very well, don't get discouraged. God is still working in your life to develop perseverance, right? And also, don't forget, God is generous. If we seek him and we ask, he's going to provide the things that we need in our life. And so I want to encourage you, just as I wrap this up, to think about two actions I would like to ask you to, to do, to take in light of this scripture this morning. First is, if you're needing some wisdom 
or you're lacking some other godly character or quality in your life, I want to ask you to draw a circle on a piece of paper and just simply write a prayer asking God to help you, to give you what you're lacking, and then spend time seeking him regularly. I've heard that he's a generous giver, that he will give us the things that we need. And then one way we can counteract doubt when we're in the midst of a trial is to take time and write down all the times that God has brought us through a trial and the ways he's provided for us and strengthened our faith. And I want to encourage you, if you're struggling in doubt, you're kind of wavering, I'd encourage you to go ahead and take time and remember and write down all the ways that God has provided for you, all the ways he's been generous, all the ways he's been gracious. And then once you're done making that list, take time and pray and give him thanks for everything that's on that list. That's one of the ways we remember when we start to waver and doubt, we remember God's goodness and faithfulness. And we can believe and trust that he's going to be good in this situation. So even during trials, we can trust that God is good and more generous than we deserve or we can fathom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word that James gives to us. It seems fitting in light of all that we've been through the last few months, but also knowing even separate from that, life is crazy sometimes, God, and we experience challenges we would never hope for or imagine. And yet, God, we know from this letter that you can, you're at work through all the bad stuff that we're going through. God, that you're developing fruit in our lives that would not be developed without the experience and your presence and power in our lives. God, we pray that you'd help us to be faithful, to believe, to not doubt, to not waver, God, but to experience the fullness of joy, trusting that, God, that you are good and that you will provide and that you're going to produce fruit in our lives that will be so great because we'll be more like Christ. So, God, even in the tough things, help us to trust you and trust what you're doing in all of it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.